you're having a fantastic Wednesday and if not I hope it'll be better because you are listening to the Art Support on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded ancestral and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I'm your host Sarah Unju and I'm just gonna come out and say it. If my energy seems low to you right now it's because it is. I went snowboarding for the first time in two years yesterday. And well, two things. First of all, I went snowboarding for the first time in two years yesterday. So it was really tiring. And also considering the fact that we have been staying at home for the past year, life has been very sedentary and I haven't been moving much. I didn't realize how much I wasn't moving until uh, I went up to the slopes yesterday because I was dying at the end of the day and I'm very tired today. Second of all, uh, I hurt my knee somehow. Uh, I think um, my friend and I, we kind of accidentally fell down. Um, like we were getting off the ski like chair lift and then she kind of pushed me trying to not fall down and then I fell down and kind of hurt my knee crack I think that's when that happened I'm not sure though um but yeah my I can't bend my knee I can't straighten it it hurts a lot I can't step on it so like I have been hopping around my apartment all day I woke up made breakfast even making breakfast I was like grabbing something from the fridge hop back onto the oven not oven the stove and do it there it's just a lot of hopping so I have been (laughs) tiring myself all day and I'm tired so I apologize if my energy is a little low um there's (laughs) There's not much I can do about it right now, but you know what? It's okay. It's gonna, it's gonna get through. I'm gonna get through it. Uh, my knee's gonna be fine, and next week my energy levels will be back up to where they usually are. So, uh, first of all, also I'm sorry if my mic is making a sound right now. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> We have a great show for you today. So, um, what is our show? Today, I don't have a review or an interview myself, but instead, our three of our correspondents have stuff that I'm excited to hear. Uh, we're going to start off with a review of Out of Order by Nico. We're going to continue with Eva's interview with Don Kishta. And we're gonna finish off the show with Silvana's review of Merritt Johnson's love song. 
I know you're excited to listen to all of these reviews and the interview, but before we get into those, we have a shout out. So today's shout out goes to Stories of Kindness. So um, I'm just gonna read the press release because that always seemed to work better. So <laughs> Stories of Kindness is a Canadian interview series. Um, by Canada's Kindness Champions, the WITS Foundation Program. The series is directed and produced by Canadian Screen Award winning and actor, Vancouver actor, might I add, Harrison Howd. Uh, you might know him from Diary of a Wimpy Kid, by the way. And it's hosted by bully bullying prevention and advocate no, not, not bullying advocate, bullying prevention advocate. <laughs> and Pink Shirt, they co-founder Travis Price. Stories of Kindness is an interview series that is focused on spreading kindness, connection and storytelling through children. Inspiring youth from across Canada were selected to co-host the series and were paired for these important conversations with celebrity guests, including Sarah Levy from Schitt's Creek, Dylan Playfair from Disney's Descendants, and Andrea Bank from Kim's, Kim's Convenience, <laughs> and so much more. And since COVID-19 turned our world upside down, as you all know and experience, uh, most have found the transition of adapting to isolation difficult. It's been an especially hard and confusing transition for our youth, for the children, because, you know, not being able to go outside and be with their friends and play with the friends, learn with their friends, it's, it's such a big thing. It's so important. Anyways, okay, Stories of Kindness was created to be a positive outlet for children to find creativity and kindness through embracing the oral traditions of storytelling. The series was produced remotely in Vancouver with several units across Canada in several time zones and with um, strict COVID-19 safe protocols in place, uh, which made, you know, planning and booking guests and filming difficult, but also rewarding for them which is always really nice you know delay of great gratification <laughs> um choosing to film virtually as much as possible all of the guests and co-hosts were filmed through zoom interviews and harrison howd as i said is best known for his uh role in diary of a wimpy kid or you might also know him from the live action fairly odd parents and yeah it's exciting and it's really great that he is um doing this with with travis price and the wits foundation program um yeah, okay, so this series will create a safe and positive form of entertainment and education for children during COVID-19. Episodes center on conversations and themes, including simple acts of kindness, cyberbullying, and online learning. And they are excited to be representing a series with such an important mission. And we hope that you can join them and listen to their stories the series is going to be premiering on march 27th and they will have an episode air weekly on the stories of kindness website and their youtube channel and the website by the way is storiesofkindness.ca very straightforward <laughs> 
So yeah, if you have children, if you have a child, or if you know people who have child slash children, um, check out Stories of Kindness. It sounds like it should be a great experience for for children. And also I feel like it is more exciting because you don't really always get to listen to stories from um, well-known actors, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's great that everyone is doing this. I I appreciate the fact that artists are coming together to to create content that is um, accessible. <laughs> it's very important. Um, yeah, so that was our shout out. Don't forget, premiering March 27th, which is just in three days. And check it out on YouTube or storiesofkindness.ca. So now we are going to get into the rest of the show. We're going to start by Nico's review, go into a quick ad and PSA break. We'll be back with Eva's interview. I'm not going to pop back in before Eva's interview. Um, and then after the interview, again, quick ad and PSA break. And afterwards, I will pop back in, um, let you know how it's going. <laughs> and then um, we will have Silvana's review. And after that, that should be all. Yeah. Um, I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah. So review of Out of Order by Nico. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Nico Martin Mechino. Today I have the pleasure in speaking to you about a very appropriate, eccentric, and lovely performance by the Finger Seven out of Montreal, Quebec. Now this performance really, really gives a lot to think about and more than anything, it's very engaging, very interactive. And um, let me just quote this one review by the Globe and Mail journalist Kelly Nustrick from Vancouver actually. She said, this result is ultimately one of the most moving works of art I've ever seen that has engaged directly with the subject of COVID-19 pandemic. Now, that is an essential theme of this performance. And if not, it was the inspiration for this performance, at least to my own knowledge as a viewer. Now, before I go into the details about my own interpretations, details about what happened and just overall a summarization of the play. Let me just quickly quote a couple paragraphs from the finger7.com page about the play. It goes like this. In a not so distant future lingers a bitter aftertaste of a deja vu. The theaters are empty. Meeting places and cultural venues are no longer permitted. Physical contact is prohibited. Artists are forced to meet secretly in forsaken places. The big top is achingly deserted. Spread out across this post-apocalyptic setting, 10 gloved and masked characters scrutinize one another, prepare, approach, and avoid contact. Coming from all walks of life, these forgotten acrobats cling to their vocation as best they can. What was a performance now feels more like a masquerade of fallen aristocracy, wavering, wavering between the thrill of shining in the spotlight and the futility of exhibition without an audience. In this nod to thespian traditions, our cast plays with the notions of bourgeoisie, 
poverty, power, and pleasure. Tongue firmly in cheek, out of order, is a look at the social balance between raw animal instinct and the elevation of minds, bodies, and souls in an educated and conformed society. What a great summarization. And literally, it has everything that you need to know about the play right in those couple paragraphs. Now, for myself, I really enjoyed this performance. I really thought it was a, a way to escape from COVID, but it was almost like a paradox. It was escaping from COVID within COVID. And, you know, I don't know, it was, it was a, central, a central theme of this play was COVID. You know, and, and even though you were constantly out of mind thinking away from COVID, the play itself brought in so many references to COVID that it brought another light to the experience that we're living in this pandemic. And I think that was the whole purpose of this play. Now, let me just pull up some notes here to give you a sense of what the performance was. At the beginning, it kind of had this poetic sense to it. It was black and white, and it had, you know, almost this, it was almost like a COVID effect, you know, how, how right now the world seems black and white. You stay at home, you stay safe, you keep within regulations, you know, you can't really do much, you know, in a sense, that's a very black and white experience. Now, I should also mention that there was a Q&A post-show and in the Q&A, there was the directors and producers speaking toward, to the audience that stayed and they described the performance as a play with a circus within a film. Now, there was a lot of unpackaging to do in this performance because it seemed like it was very layered and it was very well thought out. Now, they also described the theme of this play as neo-post-apocalyptic retro-futuristic. Very interesting, very engaging. That would be a great first line for a poem. So for any of the poets listening, you got a good line for the future. And it goes neo-post-apocalyptic retro-futuristic. And if you don't know what that means, check out Out of Order, this performance, and it'll give you a concept of uh, that very definition. But it's, uh, it was a very, very interesting theme. It was very engaging with the present, with the past, with the future, a lot of reflection. And um, again, it started off with this poetic sense of the black and white. And then it kind of meandered into an acrobatics, a dance, you know, trapezing and all that. And uh, a song and dance, wire walking, hoop dancing, bowling, pin dancing. And these are all just my own descriptions. I'm sure there's a professional term for them, but uh, I'm not educated in uh, these types of performances, so I couldn't say it. But these are just the way I summarize it. And there was also a lot of poetry. And I think the poetry, just like in any moment in life, is always appropriate because it brings to light a general universal theme that the artists are trying to convey. And this, the poetry that really stuck with me was a poem by Charles Baudelaire. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Charles Baudelaire. And the poem is called Be Drunk. Now, they constantly kept repeating lines from this poem if not saying the whole poem at once and one of the lines that really caught my attention and I think describes the theme of the poem itself and of the play is 
they were proposing a question to the audience and it was saying, be drunk on wine, on poetry, on virtue. The choice is yours. And it kind of gave you the sense of, okay, what, uh, what does it mean by being drunk, you know, and, and what are they really getting at? And I had an opportunity to propose this question to the forum at the end. And uh, it was really nice because one of the directors mentioned to me that the intoxication theme is about the moment that we're living right now, despite our limited resources and liberty, we still have an opportunity to be drunk in the moment, be drunk in our abilities, be drunk in whatever we so choose. And there is no excuse not to do what we do. For example, the performers made this performance in the midst of a pandemic. And while lots of performers have lost their jobs, they really tried to identify with that loss within the community of performer performances and try to be bring them to light in this performance. And in an example, they at the end, they paid homage in, in text. They said um, it was a fading away shot. And in text, it said this performance was for those performers who have lost their jobs throughout this, this pandemic. And uh, it gave a lot of reference to the issues within the arts, which um, despite society having a lot of issues right now, you know, it's still a major issue, especially for those who are in the arts like myself, everyone on the radio, and uh, all the students as well studying, trying to get into the industry in the future. Now, at the end, they also had a very symbolic message. And throughout the show, there was no, none of the performers initially had masks, at least not to my knowledge. I can't re recollect right now if that was, that's correct. But I remember throughout their actual performances, they, they didn't have the masks on. But at the end, they did put the masks on and they had single shots of, of, of people, of the, of the performers taking off their masks and almost showing a sense of humanity to them. And uh, I think that was a really strong message just to remind us that uh, at the end of the day, man, there's so much humanity that we're, we're missing from just the lack of not seeing people's faces. And, uh, you know, it's almost like that, that saying a, a picture can tell a thousand a thousand words and you know the same thing I've always thought the face can always tell a thousand thoughts there's just so much interaction to go on with the face and whether you're a good actor or not you still display something that that underlines a sensation or a feeling that you're embracing at that moment and I thought that really brought to brought it to the light um, by removing the mask and showing just that simple shot of just hey you know we're masked but once we take it off, we're still humans and we got so much uniqueness and detail just in our face, and let alone by the way we live. So I thought it was a really great performance. The music was recorded throughout the performance while they were performing, which I thought was a great fact and, and very talented effort. Also, there were 17 microphones just to enforce that, that note. And um, everything seemed very well planned and it was great just to see the community get out and take a risk and uh, more than anything identify COVID within the performance, which is really awesome to see. So for the future, anyone who's in Montreal, please check out Finger 7 and you can also check out Finger 7 online. Check out it, it's finger7.com and thank you for listening to me. This was Nico Martin Machino. Stay safe, everyone. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. 
Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips. But are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth. Professional journalists are committed to balanced and nonpartisan reporting, to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to democracy, a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. Hey, this is Eva Jowdy, and I'm so stoked today because I'm about to play you one of my favorite songs at the moment. It is the new single by local indie rock band Don Kaishta. So the band consists of guitarist and lead singer Diego Castello Cori, bassist Luca Heinem, drummer Gibson Switzer, who you might remember from our interview with his other band, Switzermeyer, a few weeks ago, and Connor Skillen on keys. So coming up next is the interview with the guys, but first, let's hear that single. This is Don Kaishta with Dandy on the Liquor. Little Eddie come walking on the wrong side of town No, I gotta say scoozer, but I'm not from around Stepped into the diner, the Oilers are on Listening to the play-by-play by your old man Don
This is Eva Drowdy, and I'm here with Don Kaishta. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us. So let's jump right in. Why don't you all tell me your names, your role in the band, and also tell me the artists that you'd most like to see live. Gib, you want to start right. us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Gibson. I uh, play drums primarily and sing in the band, but I also uh, write a lot of the songs with Diego. And uh, yeah, the artist I'd like to see the most live is probably Todd Rundgren. That's cool. off to you, Diego. <laughs> uh, my name's Diego. I play guitar and sing in the band. Um, who would I want to see live the most? Probably, I want to see Springsteen live. I haven't seen him ever, so I think that'd be a sweet show. Yeah. Pretty good live. Some really good dad energy in the crowd, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my name is Luca Heinem. I play bass in the band. Um, I do some background vocals as well. Uh, I've already seen this band. It's my favorite band, Rush. Um, but their their drummer, Neil Kurt, recently passed away. So the best thing for me would be able to see them one more time. I don't know. Yeah. That's a really good answer. I like that a lot. Thank you. All right, Connor. I am Connor Skillen. I play keyboards in the band. Um, and I'd like, to see, I'd like to see Neil Young live. That is hype. I've seen him live once at Queenie and he was so good. They like Oh, we saw him too there. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah, Gib and I went. I like that they were like no phones, no recording, like and, and he was all acoustic. It was so stripped down and awesome. Great show. Yeah. Well, I guess that kind of answers one of my questions. So I was gonna say who's the Neil Young fan that made this dandy on the liquor song happen? Because it definitely gave me some young <laughs> vibes. Um, I love this song. Definitely one of my favorites right now. So do you guys wanna tell me a bit about that track? I mean, sure, sure. Well, thank uh, you very much. Oh give go. Okay, well yeah, no, it's kind of a Dandy on the Liquor was a song that Diego and I wrote back in the day prior to the conception of Don Kaishta. Uh, and it's one we've just kind of had on the back burner for a while, but we thought it would kind of make a nice uh, first track to put out. Since, like you said, it kind of has that Neil Young influence, which we all have a great love for Neil Young in the band. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, basically we saw my cat Dandy uh, sitting on a box of Coors Banquet and uh, we said Dandy on the liquor and that's where the song <laughs> came from. 
that was not at all my guess of where that name came from. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, obviously we kind of took a little spin on it and made it like, kind of like you're happy when you're drunk is kind of the meaning. That's funny. And then, so about a minute in, there's this like a clip from Hockey Night in Canada or something. What's the audio from? Uh, the audio is from a uh, yeah yeah sure. The audio is from a, a Don Cherry interview because um, I think we wrote we wrote the song like three years ago or something before it was all controversial on that topic. But um, we ended up just sticking with it, and then we threw that that little snippet in there, and it's a nice nice little touch, I think. Yeah, I think it's a fight in between like two two uh, hockey teams, and like gloves coming off and people like throwing fists. That's <laughs> what he's talking about. I love that. It made my Canadian heart so happy. And like, regardless of controversy, there's something that makes me like warm and fuzzy about Don Cherry's voice. I mean, we don't stand what he said, but he yeah, was like a do. Canadian icon. <laughs> so aside from Neil Young, like what are some influences do you think that all of you bring to the band here musically? Um, well, one thing that's kind of cool about Don Keishta is we all kind of listen to different stuff that we're not all necessarily into. So, for example, like, Luca's quite into a lot of, like, metal and prog and, like, pop punk and stuff, which I don't necessarily listen to all the time. And then I'm into my own stuff, uh, and Diego's into his own stuff. But, yeah, it's a lot of, like, 70s influence, I would say. Mostly everything we listen to comes from the 70s. And, like, obviously Neil Young, uh, I gotta say, like, Todd Rundgren, I don't know, Diego, do you have anything you want to add? I was going to say, yeah, everybody kind of brings their own tastes to the table, you know? Like, I wouldn't have heard half the stuff I listened to now without all you guys introducing yeah. me to new stuff, you know? Like, I would have never gotten hard on the metal thing without Luca. I would have never gotten hard on the Japanese synth jazz without Connor and Gibb, so, like... Just <laughs> so much different stuff. No I like a lot of old country and western stuff, so... Yeah, yeah. I would, have never gotten, I would have never gotten into like Neil Young without you guys. And then like, there's one band, Genesis, that we all like share a passion for. Yeah. And that's just like, yeah, that's just a really good band for Prague and just all other influences kind of mixed into one that we all are down with. That's sweet. Yeah, I mean, I saw one of your shows at the Avant Garden in like 2019, I think, with the neighbors. And I didn't remember the genre being quite like this, like folk and um, Canadiana. So that I guess that explains like you guys have some other genres going on there, too. Yeah, I think the yeah. sound, sound we got down on the recording is pretty different from what our shows have been in the past, over the past year or so. Um, so I don't know if it was just a coincidence that it turned out that way, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the thing. Each song we write kind of ends up being its own genre. I wouldn't say you could really pin Don Keishta down to being one specific genre. I would argue yeah. that, like, any good band, that that's kind of what you need is don't be too stuck in one thing either. So that's a good thing, I'd say. I mean, you guys have toured or performed quite a bit. Like, I, I remember that you do a decent amount of performing. What's your favorite memory at a Don show? I'd say one good memory is we were playing this show in the back of a court, like a convenience store on East Hastings. And uh, we, we showed up, they told us to get there like 45 minutes before the show so we could set up and we got there and we were just waiting and waiting. I think we were there for like an hour and a half before the guy came to let us in. And finally we got there and he let us in 
and they didn't have anything. We had to bring our own like PA. We brought our own instruments, own everything. We had to set up everything, even use our own like extension cords. And then yeah. at the end of the day, like we got like a ton of people out. It was a super fun show. And at the end of the day, I think we got like 30 bucks <laughs> from that. The coolest thing about that one, too, is that you, like, walked into the back of the store just through, like, a hole in, like, a line of refrigerators. What? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And I remember waiting in Gibson's van for, like, an hour and a half. We invited all these people to our show, and we don't even know if it's going to happen. And then, like, it happens, like, like, people are even showing up, and we're not even allowed in. So it's like, what the heck? (laughs) And then last minute, we just set up everything. We're probably, like, 45 minutes late, and then... It was a great show anyway. So much fun. So random. Yeah. I love that. I got another one, though. The, the first show we ever played, um, Gibbs, Gibbs' parents had a, like a pop-up shop for a little while on King Ed. and um, McDonald. Yeah, McDonald. And uh, basically they were getting booted out of there or something like that. So they were like, okay, throw a show in this empty <laughs> pop-up shop. So we, I was working for a company at the time that uh, rented out stages and stuff like that. So we built a stage in this little retail what? space. And then uh, we had our first show there. And uh, that was so much fun. That was like one of the best memories, I think. I think we had like 200 bodies in this like yeah. 2,000 square foot room. Oh, it was hot, man. It was really hot. It was hot. People were smoking inside. Yeah, it was horrible. But it was lovely. I liked playing those grungy venues, though. I think there's something yeah. better than like a nice venue at that. Got some cool lights going in there, too. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. Sick. Those are the most memorable ones in like kind of random places, especially a convenience mm-hmm. store. That's really funny. So you've got a full length album coming out this summer. Um, it's a long shot, but can you tell us anything about that yet? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've got about, I would say, like 25, 30 songs written kind of over the past th- uh, three or so years. And like I said, Diego and I were writing songs before John Keishta even existed. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's basically going to be sort of some of our favorite songs that we like to play out of those, uh, that selection of songs. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't think it'll really be like one genre or anything. It'll kind of be almost like a compilation album of, uh, yeah, just some of our favorite songs to play. Yeah. I'd say it's about like eight or nine songs, including Dandy on the Liquor on there that we have already planned out. So cool. So excited. So you said you started writing these songs before Don Kaishta because I think you and Diego were in a different band before, right? Like you guys have known each other a while. Um, what's the story behind the formation of Don Kaishta, though? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, yeah. Uh, get, go crazy. Oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> okay. um, Gib and I played in, yeah, the house sound together um, in high school. And then that uh, that ended and we did like one recording session with Luca. Um, I can't remember how many years ago. It was a while ago, maybe three. Probably, yeah, three or four. Three or four years ago. And we did a recording sesh with him because we were, we were writing a bunch of songs and we wanted to get some cool bass on it. And uh, that was kind of how we met. Like we all went to the same high school, or Gib, Gib Luca and I did. Um, we went to Kits, Kits Leno. Me too. <laughs> all right, Don. I was in Luca's and, grade though. Okay. Um, so where Don Keishta come from? Like the name itself. I don't even That's know. That's all you, Connor. <laughs> um, 
I've been lying to a lot of people about what it really means, but it's it's like a it's a beat. Um, I've been trying to write it out in really, like simple lines, but it's like two beats and then another two beats. Like Don Keshta Keshta Don Keshta is where it kind of. And I've been singing that since I was in fourth grade. Oh, uh, that's so, so cute. <laughs> it's like my internal rhythm, that's even though it doesn't so really mean anything. It's it's kind of like a yeah, my heartbeat. Oh, that's so cool. I did not expect that. I like that a lot. Okay, well, unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have for this. Um, but before we go, can you give us some plugs? Let us know what your Instagram is. Where can we find you and your music? Yeah, so uh, our Instagram account is at Don Keishta. Uh, I'm not going to spell it out for you. It's pretty pretty phonetic. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we've got our new song, Dandy on the Liquor, out on all platforms. You can... Run it up on Apple Music, Spotify, TikTok, Amazon Music, whatever, wherever you get your music from. Uh, and then, yeah, we've, uh, we're in the process of recording an album, uh, which will be coming out. So, uh, yeah, if you follow us on our Instagram, at Don Keishta, uh, we'll post about it there. And, uh, yeah. Perfect. That's about it. Thank you so much, guys. Oh, yeah. Thank Thanks, Eva. Eva. Thanks, Eva. Thanks, Eva. Bye. Okay, I'll see you later. Bye. Peace. <laughs> we got a theory. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM Vancouver. We know how magnets work. If magic is all we've ever known, then it's easy to miss what really goes on. But I've seen miracles in every way, and I see miracles every day. I got a stack of records here, a stack of records there. I got records scattered all over everywhere, but I'm looking. Discorder Magazine has been supporting independent music for over 30 years, and it keeps on living by joining efforts with local music supporters such as Vinyl Records. You can find a selection of Vinyl Records' featured albums on the back cover of Discorder, and can support your favorite local bands and artists by purchasing their records. For more information on their vast selection of new, used, and rare music, go to vinylrecords.ca. Welcome back everyone, this is Sarah Onju on the Arts Report on 101.9 FM at CITR. Uh, that was such a weird way to say that, never mind, okay. Um, I hope you enjoyed Nico's review and Eva's interview. That song slaps so hard, I love it. Um, okay, so now we have Silvana's review I hope you guys like that too. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. Um, I'm not gonna ramble on any longer and I'm gonna leave you to Silvana's review and then I'm gonna be back right afterwards. Enjoy! Hello everyone, it's Silvana once again with the Arts Report. This week I have a very special review for you. I know I haven't done a review in a while so I am really happy to be doing this once again um, at CITR. Today, I will be talking about Merritt Johnson's love song. This is my first time covering an online gallery, which is a very new experience for me. I thought it was going to be um, much different than what it like ended up being. Um, I thought it was gonna be more of like a virtual reality like thing. I don't know what I thought why I thought this was gonna be um <laughs> the case. Um, however, what I encountered 
um, with Love Song is a very interesting compilation between texts and videos and also images with descriptions just as, as you would do in a gallery space but instead of being between um, you know the walls of um, the establishment it was more in like just scrolling through my computer as if it was a website um, however it wasn't really like a like your usual just scroll away um, website the in every single like paragraph or um, video or um, just in general um, the parts of the exhibit it just like stopped and it really like made you focus on what is being offered right there so it was a very um, it was it gave it a very nice flow it was a very flowy experience um, and I'm really happy with um, the way I got to engage with these pieces of art um, so this online gallery is facilitated by SFU Galleries and it was also curated by Shijen Turions. Um, the online gallery will be available, has been available from January 5th up until April 22nd of this year. So there's still plenty of time for you to explore Love Song. And as I said, it's online, so it's pretty accessible. So first a little bit about Merritt Johnson. Um, she's a multi multidisciplinary artist and mother and holds a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. She also holds an MFA from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston. Um, she, she has a mixed ancestry of Mohawk, Irish, Blackfoot, Jamaican, and Swedish. Um, however, she's not a citizen of any of the nations which she descends from. Um, she has exhibited throughout the Americas and Europe and she uses a multiplicity of materials and processes that in a way embodies her multiplicity, navigating agency, layering, and allegiance to land, water, and culture. Her artistic practice, um, you can tell she is into sculpture. We see um, a few sculptures within um, Love Song and Probably one that is um, crucial to um, start her the discussion about her work is the self-titled love song piece, which is a, it says in parentheses, translation basket. So what this piece is, is basically a stethoscope. Um, so just like the one the doctors use to listen to your heartbeat. Um, however, it is black and gold. And instead of the little earplugs, there is a fiber basket handwoven in the shape of life-sized over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones, which I think is really interesting. Um, it is also very intricate and they look very real. And this kind of shows that there is this translation between people's heartbeats and what we hear is what she would call a love song. So there's a quote that she includes here um, within the gallery that says stethoscopes are used by emergency medical workers in hospitals and at sites of state and police violence on black and brown bodies. They are a listening tool for assessing and saving lives. The translation basket is a reminder that every heartbeat is a precarious love song with an inevitable end. Failure to recognize, value, honor, and protect these songs and the bodies who sing them 
has been instrumental in building violent, white supremacist and anthropocentric cultures, governments and individuals. The translation basket is a container to remedy these disconnections. So as we can hear <laughs> from this first piece, Mary Johnson's work is very much entrenched between um, navigating the spaces between bodies and the body politic, land and culture. And it is also deeply invested in indigenous self-determination and she would say and she would say informed by necessity. So she also urges for um, a transformation, a social political transformation within like all the items that we see and engage with in the online gallery. Um, so in this first instance is this like push through changing how we see how we listen to the bodies, how we understand bodies, and how people people's heartbeat can be understood as love songs, which I think is a very, very beautiful thing to say. Um, and then furthermore, there are moments of sociopolitical transformation that can be done within um, her critiques in some collection of videos that are included within the exhibition. These are called Exercising America. Um, so um, it is a series of videos and they each engage with an aspect of how the so-called Americas manifest sickness and exert control and violence over land and bodies. So this is kind of like her play on the United States notion of manifest destiny, which um, for folks who haven't really studied this is that colonization of the land so-called the United States um, as it was the case with Canada um, involves people moving further and further west to colonize um, from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Oceans and this of course is a very violent process that included the, the dispossession of indigenous lands and peoples from their um, ancestral territories. Um, so as we can hear um, this is a very powerful topic and so back to exercising america series these are all kind of like amateur do-yourself um instructional videos with exercises that mary johnson herself acts um so there's this voiceover, which is very soothing actually <laughs> it's a very soothing voice and she goes over in the different videos of, for instance, conditioning, conditioning exercises, there's for disappearing, there's some that are to be, a, to be made visible, etc. And so they're very interesting because it focuses on her body, right? And how as the, as the instructions go about, she physically enacts the instructions on her body, but the, the voiceover will mention things about um, sociopolitics in the United States. Um, we'll talk about very um, heavy issues of social relevance. And it functions kind of like a metaphor in which we know that um, systems, oppressive systems such as patriarchal systems, racist systems, etc. just act on people's bodies every day. So... Let me just focus in one of the instances. There is this one called um, conditioning exercises. Um, and so these conditioning exercises, we think of like exercise conditioning, um, people that get ready for um, doing high intensity sports. 
However, these are taken as like um, preparing yourself to face this world that is full of injustices and, as I said, oppressive systems. So, for instance, there is a point in which she starts running and, you know, you, you're getting warmed up. And then the instructions tell her to um, lift her body as in like a plank position. Um, and every time she lifts up her body, the voiceover is, is telling us, oh, this weight that you were feeling is um, all these systems that like are acting on you in this moment. Then you go back to the ground and when you lift up again, it adds more weight with like even more systems. And of course, when you do these like plank positions or push-ups, you become exhausted. And this is what folks um, that are pressed in all these very different manners that she mentions, um, such as with um, cultural assimilation, with heteropatriarchal systems and systemic racism are face to and um, they feel that in their bodies every day. Um, there is another one that I thought was very interesting. It's called um, Taking a Fall. And then there's also a video called, um, well, it's about uh, standing up, exercise for standing up. And this Taking a Fall video is how these systems sometimes run people over. Um, however, in the video itself, Johnson just like literally falls to the ground and you're supposed to um, quote unquote practice this um, according to the voiceover. And all the videos are in general very interesting regarding um, survival instincts. Um, so standing up, um, holding your weight, conditioning. So like you're getting ready for this system where if you don't fight or if you don't um, act a certain way, like you may not survive. Um, and this is unfortunately a very um, real situation for folks in the United States in this um, in this context, but also in Canada. It's important to remember that um, Canada is not innocent to um, these, um, especially colonial systems. So another example of this would be there's also this like two pairs of videos that are um, one of them is um, visibility exercises and the other one is disappearing exercises, and it talks about how well the disappearing one is about people um trying to survive by making themselves invisible for one way or the other so um think about police brutalities so uh, folks who may be more prone to be targeted by the police would pro probably not try to be very eye-catching and that's those are the kind of skills that you have to practice in your everyday life and be really conscious of your body and like try to not be seen while in the visibility exercises one, um, it's about taking space and really trying to um, expand yourself in a way that doesn't harm anyone. And this is obviously very important for people, um, especially BIPOC and many other people that may not have the same platforms as white settler folks. So it's definitely really interesting and also critical because in the voiceover they also acknowledge how an abundance of disappearing exercises may um, make it more difficult for you to practice visibility exercises and they also mention how being visible sometimes will not entail safety which is 
which is a terrible reality. But so these videos that are part of the gallery, they are all very critical and they weren't what I expected them to be. Like when you just first see um, the aesthetic, it's just very casual. It's, um, I think they're recorded in her home and they are just very interesting, but they get um, political very fast. And it's just amazing how Johnson managed to do these compilations. Um, it's a very interesting series. I want to perhaps finish with a small um, acknowledging of how the gallery experience started, like how did the way that it began, which was with an image of one of these other um, sculptures that are part of the series. And this one is an indigenous child, but uh, I think of mixed, mixed ancestry and who looks um, visibly white is wearing a virtual reality like headset however this virtual reality headset is made of sweet grass and it's just very interesting how um this virtual reality um symbol is it represents futures and um technology however it is done through a lens of um indigenous knowledge and the vision that indigenous peoples can have for the future and the child could represent like the hope that, that is ahead of um, the newer generations and how there is a possibility of reconciling our different worldviews by acknowledging the experiences of indigenous peoples um, and many other people which have um, undeserving experiences under settler colonialism and I thought it was very clever definitely a very eye-catching way to start the gallery exhibition um so i think this is all that i'm gonna say i think i am running out of time um but just a reminder that uh, mary johnson's love song is um facilitated by sfu galleries it's free you can you can um just access it online and it will be available up until april 22nd so you can at any time from now until then you have about a month to engage with these um, powerful conversations and these powerful materials. So yes, and thank you so much for listening. Bye bye. And folks, with that review, we are at the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I will be back here next week, as I said, with more energy. And I hope you will be here with me too. This has been the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. <laughs> Thank you for listening and have a lovely day. Bye.